time has a way of sneaking up on us, and there are important events that we don't want to miss out on, so we have a tendency to circle them on our calendar or write them in our date book or record them on our electronic devices. But not only are the particular events themselves important, but we need to prepare ourselves in light of that upcoming event. For example, a wedding. Not only do we circle the calendar with the wedding date, but we tend to count down the days or there's a lot of preparation to be done. In my premarital counseling, I encourage couples to count down the day to their marriage by reading the Psalms backwards, Psalm 150, 49, 48, etc., until they get to the day of their wedding. But there's so much to do in preparation for a wedding, is there not? There's renting a reception hall, purchasing flowers, hire a photographer, arrange for a caterer, purchase a dress, rent tuxedos, come up with a guest list, send out invitations, and on and on and on it goes. There is so much to be prepared for as one thinks about their wedding. The bride and groom keep in mind that the wedding day is approaching and they need to live in light of it. Likewise, the Word of God teaches us that we are to remember that uh, our time here on earth is short. In Psalm 90, verse 12, it says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So just as we would count down the days to our wedding, it says we should even be counting down the days of our life, realizing that uh, life is short and we need to live with uh, expectation of that which is to come. In the text before us, we are encouraged to uh, wake up and realize that the time is at hand. We're to wake up and get ready for the day in which we are going to meet the Lord. So this morning we want to look at these admonitions that are associated with waking up and getting ready for that day in which we will meet the Lord. The first thing we want to note this morning is that the time has arrived to wake up and get ready for the day in which we will meet the Lord. If you look at Romans 13, 11, it says, Besides this you know, the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. So the time has come for us to wake from sleep. It's interesting that the text assumes that we have been sleeping. It assumes that we have been sleeping. It says the time has come for us to awake out of sleep. To sleep is the opposite of being spiritual alert, watchful, prepared. It is being conformed to this world rather than being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have been in a passage that emphasizes Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove was that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So this dedication of life, this uh, renewal of mind, by not being pressured by the world that is around us. So we are to wake up, smell the roses, and uh, realize that the day has come uh, to, uh, to, time has come to wake up. The disciples, if you remember, uh, stressled, uh, yeah, stressled, wrestled 
with uh, sleepiness uh, in a literal sense when Jesus was in the garden and uh, he was encouraging them to pray uh, that they would uh, not succumb to temptation. Instead, they, they slept and they repeatedly were encouraged to stay awake and they repeatedly slept. In the parables, time and time again, we encounter this admonition of those that are sleeping in relationship to the Lord's coming rather than to be awake on the alert. The admonition is to wake up. It assumes that we are sleeping. And this morning, if we are going to be honest with ourselves, I would say that there's a, a bit of a stupor that all of us are in. Maybe some of us are in a lighter sleep than others. Uh, maybe uh, we are more akin to the aspect of the Lord's return. But the Bible says this about the Lord's return. It says in Matthew 24, 24, there you must, therefore you will also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. At an hour that you do not expect. That's a universal truth. That when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, it will be at a time that we're not expecting it. That we aren't anticipating it. We are not going to be thinking half hour before he comes, you know, he's going to be here in a half hour. This is coming today. This is coming in my lifetime. It says that uh, no one is going to expect that time. Uh, he comes at a time that you do not expect. Therefore, the admonition is a very real one. And that is for us to wake up and to not lose sight because it's so easy to get caught up with all the activities and events of this world to lose sight of the reality of the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the reality of being in his presence. The admonition to wake up is an admonition to believers. He's not talking to an unsaved people. He's talking to believers. If you look at verse 11, it says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So it's talking to believers. And it's saying that the time of the Lord's return is closer than the time in which we first placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's talking about believers. And as believers, we're to wake out of our sleep, our apathy, our indifference to the reality of the Lord's return. It is time to wake up because the time of our deliverance is closer than ever before. If you look at verse 11, it says, For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Salvation is being used here in the ultimate sense. When we are finally fully delivered from sin and death. Whether that be at the Lord's return, which is what I think is primarily in view, or our death in which we die and we are in the presence of God. In either case, we are going to be in God's presence. And in either case, we don't know when that's going to take place. But in either case, we are closer to that day than we were yesterday. We're closer to that day than when we first believed. And we're not to lose sight of that day. It is time to wake up because we know about these things in verse 11. It says, besides this, you know the time. That's a curious statement, for we just have said that you don't know the time. 
In fact, Matthew 24, 36 says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. And then this, not the Son of, but the Father only. So even Jesus, it says, did not know the time of his coming. So then how does it say you know the time? Well, it's not referring to the specific time, but, real, but rather the reality of the time. You know that the time is coming. You know the reality of the truth. You know that a Savior is returning. And so we are to live in light of that knowledge that we have, that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed returning to this earth. So in light of that, what are we to do? Well, secondly, the time has arrived for us to rise and shine. To rise and shine. We are not to just lie idly on our spiritual beds, gaze up into heaven, and think about the fact that Jesus is going to return sometime. But rather, as I say, we are to rise and shine. The night has just about ended in verse 12. The night is far gone. The night is far gone. I don't know about you, but I'm in that age and stage of life where I wake up about every hour and a half during the night. Usually go to the bathroom and come back. And uh, so each time I wake up, I, I look at the alarm clock. And uh, I just kind of sit there and say, okay, I got three more hours, I got two more hours, I got one more hour. Uh, and then I have to get up, for real, and uh, get dressed and get ready for the day. Well, we're not just to lie there and think about the fact that, well, the time's getting closer, and it's three hours, and I've got to get up for two hours. But the point is, we're to see that the night is far spent. And it's just about time to get ready for the Lord's return. That's the imagery. For the day is at hand. The time of our salvation is rapidly approaching. Again, whether that day be the Lord's return or that day be our death and entrance into his presence. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. So what's involved in our rising and shining, as it were, in this metaphor? Well, first, we're to put off our night clothes. In verse 12, it says, uh, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So, here's the admonition, then let us cast off the works of darkness. Here, the night clothes are the, the works of darkness. Just as you get up in the morning, and it's time to get rid of your pajamas, and uh, to put on your, your uh, clothes to go to work, so too, here, it is we are to cast off the works of darkness, and we're going to talk a lot more about what those works of darkness are, but it's those activities that are associated with the night. And it says we're to put on the armor of light, the armor of light, which is an interesting metaphor, for it is the armor that light produces. So then we have to ask ourselves, in what sense does light produce armor. In what sense is light a protection? Well, if we think about it, in the analogy of night and day, there are a lot of bad things that happen at night. And uh, daylight comes, and 
and things change. And one of the reasons that things change is simply because it's daylight. One of the most effective ways, if you want to cut down on crime, is to bring light to a situation. And so if you have a parking lot that has a dark recessed corner, what do you want to do? You want to put a light up so that light shines on that corner and it's much less likely that you're going to be abducted or abused in any way if there's light shining on that corner or light placed in an alley or light placed in a hallway. Uh, terrible things seem to happen in the darkness, but light in and of itself is a protection. Here, God's light is a protection to us, and uh, that's delineated for us actually in Ephesians chapter 5. You may want to turn there or you may want to just listen as I read. But listen to the description of the child of God's relationship to light. Starting in Ephesians 5, verse 6, I read, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Light produces that which is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So just as light exposes sinful practices, uh, light protects us and showing us what is sin and what is not. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when everything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine light upon you. So here we have this light that comes from God that gives us understanding, helps us to see what is sin and what is not, what is the appropriate way to live and what is the inappropriate way to live. Then in our text there's a contrast between the activities of the day and the activities of the night. The activities of the day are decent. Look at verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Properly means decently, appropriately. Daytime is quite different from nighttime. And so we are to walk in a way that's consistent with daytime activities, such as the good things that people do during the day. They work, they study, they practice their business, they're going about fulfilling their responsibilities, as opposed to the night when we are no longer working. And you have to remember this is in an agrarian society and a time before electricity and all these other things. And when it was night, it was night. And uh, you ceased labors, you ceased those activities. And you engaged in other things that tend to be more frivolous, more frolicking. And there are uh, things which are inappropriate for the daytime, 
which are done at night and its negative things in view. There are three couplets given to us as examples of deeds associated with darkness in the night. The first couplet of works of darkness has to do with wild parties and drunkenness. Notice verse 13. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. Orgies is where I'm getting the word wild parties. It's parties that are filled with all kinds of sensuality. All right? uh, it is uh, certainly evil kinds of gatherings of people that are engaged in all kinds of excessive, sinful, wild behaviors. And drunkenness. Drunkenness. We even have a term, a thought, that uh, it's inappropriate for people to be drinking early in the day. Uh, someone takes a drink and we'll say, well, it's not even noon yet. It's, it's inappropriate. It's not the time that people drink. People drink, get drunk at night. And certainly, there's a lot of drunken activity at nights. There's a lot of partying that goes on at night. Uh, it says we're to put that behind us. The second couplet of works of darkness has to do with all kinds of sexual misconduct and a desire to fulfill physical pleasures. Notice verse 13. Let's walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. And the second couplet, not in sexual immorality or sensuality. Those are the things that go on at night. All kinds of sexual immorality. All kinds of physical pleasure that people engage in. Things that are unbecoming. Uh, things that are ungodly. Uh, things that are inappropriate. All of those things uh, are pictured as nighttime kind of activities of which we want to have no part in. And then the third couplet is quarreling and jealousy, fighting, self-centeredness. And in some ways, we can see these things building upon each other. For what results in orgies and drunkenness but sexual immorality and sensuality? And then what does that result in but quarreling and jealousy? of people being upset with the activities of their spouse or their girlfriend or their boyfriend and all kinds of strife and misery that happens. These things are all associated with a nighttime kind of behavior. And it's telling us that we are not to be walking as in the night, but we're to be people of the day. We're to be people of light. We are people to be associated ourselves with that which is done appropriately in daytime activity. The ultimate application comes in verse 14. The time has arrived to get dressed for the day, prepared and ready to function. So what are we to do? We're to dress ourselves in Christ, Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a phrase that's found only here in the entire New Testament. So I'm going to talk about what that means in just a moment. But rather, I'm going to go to the second phrase first, for it will shed some light <laughs> on what is meant by the first phrase. And that is, 
Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. ESV, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What we are not to do is to make plans to fulfill our sinful desires. I want to slow down and talk about these last two things because they're incredibly important. The idea, the imagery is of waking up. We've just gotten up. The night is long spent. Uh, it's time to get dressed. Uh, it's time to get ready for the day and the day's activities. That which is appropriate for the day and putting aside the things which are for the night. And as you get ready for the day, and as you get dressed, and as you're planning out your day, what should you do? And I'm starting with the negative first. It says, do not make provision for the flesh. The uh, NIV says, do not think about how to gratify the desires. Don't plot how you are able to sin today. Making plans. Do people really make plans for sin? The answer is yes. Okay. They think about renting a video or downloading a video, or visiting a website. Or they think about maybe going to a party, or hosting a party. And they're thinking about the people they're going to invite, and the kind of activities that they are going to engage in, and what it is that, that they want to do. Unfortunately, people often plan ways in which they can gratify their sinful desires. They purchase paraphernalia to keep them from getting pregnant so that they can engage in sinful activity without a consequence. They think about how they are going to get away with this. They make plans. They, they lie to their parents. They think it through. They've got an idea of how to bring it to pass. The Bible is filled with examples for us. and So let me just read one account it comes from 2 Samuel, chapter 13. You don't need to turn there. But it's an account of Absalom, that's David's son. And let me just read the scripture for you, starting at 2 Samuel, chapter 13, verse 1. Now, Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister, whose name was Tamar. And after a, a time, Ammon, David's son, loved her. And Ammon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And it seemed impossible to Ammon to do anything to her. So he was lovesick over this beautiful sister, part sister, not full sister. But it was a consuming thought to him to the point of making him sick because it says that he thought it was impossible for him to do anything to her. He, he wanted to have a sexual relationship with her. But thought it impossible 
And the thought of it being impossible is just making him sick. He just wanted to have this sexual relationship with this beautiful woman. But Naaman had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. Scheming. Conniving. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? And Ammon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother, Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Ammon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to him and said, Ammon, uh, <clears throat> so Ammon laid down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Ammon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat it from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Ammon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Ammon's house, where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Ammon said, send out everyone from me. Okay, get rid of all the household servants. Get rid of everybody else that's here so that the house is empty. It's just Ammon and Tamar. So everyone, out, everyone went out from him. Then Ammon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber. Bring it into my bedroom, that I may eat at your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Ammon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him, he took hold of her and said, come, lie with me, my sister. And I won't read the rest, but he rapes her. He rapes her. It was all planned out. There was a scheme. There was a way that he had connived to get this to pass. He thought about pretending to be sick. He thought about what he was going to say to the king. He thought about how the king would grant his request. He thought about how that she could get him, her into his house. He thought about how he could get the house emptied of, of anyone else being present so that there would be no one to come to her aid. He thought about how to lure her into his bedroom. And once into his bedroom, he thought of grabbing hold of her and raping her. The sad state of affairs is that even as Christians, sometimes we plan to sin. We think about ways in which we can get around. We think about how to do things in private that people won't see us. We think of lies to tell, places to go, people to rendezvous with, lies that we're going to tell to our spouse. It's planned. It's connived. 
The scripture says, make no provision, make no plan. Don't spend your day thinking about how you can commit sin. Those are activities associated with evil. Those are the plans of those that sleep at night, those that are carousing at night, those that are reveling at night, those that are partying at night. That's not for the people of the day. That's not what we're to be about. We aren't to be conniving and planning to sin. But instead, it says that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an imagery of clothing ourselves in Jesus Christ. Just as I decide when I get up in the morning and it's a Sunday and I'm thinking about getting ready for today and I realize it's Sunday morning and there are certain expectations and so one of the things I do is I leave the house, I put on my coat because this morning I know I'm going to preach and I know I'm going to be in front of you. And I put on my coat make it ready for the day that I am dressed appropriately. The imagery is, as you leave the house, you clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to clothe yourself in Jesus Christ? How do you do that in a practical sense? This is hanging in my closet. Jesus isn't. You know, I can't just go to a hanger and take Jesus off the hanger and, and put him around me. So what is involved in clothing ourselves in Jesus Christ? I would submit to you, it's the opposite of planning to sin. It's waking up with intentionality. It's waking up with purpose. It isn't just going through the day in the analogy of sleepwalking, of which we're just going through the motions and we're, we're just doing the things that we do with very little purpose, very little intentionality, with very little forethought. But instead, when we wake up in the morning, we make this conscious decision that today I'm going to live for Christ. Today, I'm going to live a godly life. Today, I'm going to live in the light of the knowledge that one day, I'm going to be standing before him. I'm not going to be like the people of the night. I'm not going to be like all those that are asleep and unaware of the Lord's return, who are living their life not thinking about being in his presence or thinking about that one day, I'm going to die and stand before him. But I'm going to take into account consciously that I have a responsibility to live for God this day. I'm going to think about Jesus. And instead of making plans for sin, I'm going to make plans to live righteously. I'm going to come up with a, a way of thinking about how I can live today without committing sin. So what am I going to do? Well, obviously, I'm going to pray. 
I'm going to ask God to give me wisdom, to give me insight, to understand the temptations that are before me today and realize the way in which I could easily respond with pride or a situation that I know that I'm going to face in which it's going to be difficult for me to stand up for what I know to be right. Is there a situation where today I'm going to be really tempted to lie? Or I'm going to experience a tremendous amount of peer pressure that is going to force me in the wrong way. What am I going to face today? Lord, help me. Help me to overcome that sin that so easily could be sent me. I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be aware. I'm going to be alert. I'm going to be thinking about the decisions I'm making, the things that I'm doing. Are they in keeping with God's word? Are they not? I'm going to be thinking about the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I came not to do my will, but yours. And so I'm going to be seeking to do what God would want me to do in all circumstances of life. It means I'm going to live my life with my eyes wide open. Consciously thinking about ways in which I can be guarded. So I'm thinking about maybe there's a party after school tonight that maybe I shouldn't go to. I know what's going to go on there. I know there's going to be drinking. I know there's going to be drugs. I don't need to put myself in that environment. I don't need to be a part of that carousing. I don't need to be a part of that partying. I'm not going to say no in the middle. I'm going to avoid the whole situation. Maybe you're on a college campus. And you say, I'm not going to go back to my boyfriend or girlfriend's room tonight. That's not the best place for me to be. There are other places where we can talk. There are other places we can hang out. We don't have to be in situations where I'm putting myself at risk and a temptation. It's not planning to sin. But more than that, it's planning to live righteously, wholesomely, an appropriate way. Living our light, living our life in the light, not in the darkness. Not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds, it says, to stop and think about what we are doing and guarding our lives from sin, planning to live righteously, not planning to sin. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to consciously 
make decisions, even as the day begins, to look at the activities of the day and ask ourselves, oh God, not how can we sin, but how can we live righteously? Give us wisdom in what we do and don't do. Lord, give us the desire to say no and not place ourselves in places of temptation, but to place ourselves in situations in which we are going to be fostered in our faith, encouraged in our commitment to Jesus Christ. Lord, such a large part of that has to do with our friends. For your word tells us that we're to flee youthful lusts with those that call the Lord out of a pure heart. So Lord, guard us in our friendships, who we choose to be our friends, who we choose to be our girlfriends and our boyfriends. People that are not going to force themselves on us or encourage us in sinful behavior, but people who will adopt a, a similar purpose and value in life that they, along with us, are going to encourage us to live godly, to live wholesomely, to do what is pleasing in your sight. So, Lord, give us wisdom to make good plans. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.